Hey, we're in a series that is continuing to kind of drive at a question. And the question is, if you're a follower of Jesus, why this church? Uh, Why would this be the place that you would choose uh, to come and worship, that you would choose uh, to come and be in community with? And so we've asked that question consistently because we believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't pick a church, you're appointed to a church, and you're looking for an appointment, not a menu that matches what you would prefer. And so we're not into preference-driven church, although that seems to be what our society is driven by. Do they have the right ministry opportunities? Can I have the right seat at the table that I want at the church? And instead of looking for a towel so that we can go and serve our brothers and sisters, we often look for a table where we can be served by brothers brothers and sisters, in a way that accommodates our life but never radically shifts our life, our time, our attention, or our focus. But when you find an appointment, you find a call from God that's worth sacrificing for. It's worth a life life adjustment in order to be engaged with. And we, we believe that in order for us as a church to faithfully serve the community that God has called us to be a part of, we need a house full of people that have been appointed, not just a group of people that have picked a church. If you pick a church, if I don't preach the sermon you want to hear, you leave. If I open the Bible and go verse by verse, let me go ahead and remind everybody in here, you will find areas of it that disagree with current practices that are going on in your life. And so the question is, if you're appointed to a group of people that are opening the Word of God together to be changed by the work of the Spirit through the Word of God together, then you endure together through the hard parts that are difficult to change in. Even the areas of your life that you may not believe are possible for change in your life, trusting that if the Holy Spirit's at work and He's called you to a community of people to grow and to be built up in that through the spirit and through the preaching of the word and through the community of God's work around that community in your life we can become the in the fullness of Christ everything that he's called us to be and that is our goal we want you to mature we want you to grow up in your faith we want you to become deeply rooted in Christ Jesus so that when storms come which are promised whether you're a believer or an unbeliever you have a foundation and a rock and a root system that can hold in the midst of a storm as a faithful witness not to your good works but to the good work of God that continues to go on through you in spite of everything that's going on outside of you. Are you tracking with me? Have you found your appointment? That's what we're after. Have you found your appointment? Is this the place where God would have you get shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield with a group of people that perhaps you would not choose to get shoulder to shoulder and shield to shield with if it weren't for Jesus? Because if you look around this room and you go, man, some of these people, I'm not sure I would let in my house if it weren't for Jesus. I'm not sure that I would hang around them if it weren't for Jesus. If that's where you're at, let me go and encourage you. You might have found a Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled church because the church of God is diverse. The church of God is filled with people from different cultures and backgrounds. And when you find a church that is making it about Jesus, you find a church that's weird when you look at the gathering because it doesn't make sense apart from the work of Jesus. We are here because Jesus has brought us here. We are here because Jesus is bringing a diverse gathering of people that he's then sending out weekly to engage cultures and groups and economic areas of our community that you have bridges into. And the only reason we have those bridges is because God gave you a culture before he gave you a people here. And he sends you as a renewed people and as kingdom people from here back into the culture and the community out there where you are able to engage and witness to the glory of God and the goodness of God and the work of God. in a group of a diverse gathering of people that have gathered together because of the work of Jesus that continues in them in spite of them often. Are you tracking with me? 
So at four points, at four points, we exist to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. It's what we aim to do week in and week out. We want to continue to engage the disengaged with the gospel of Jesus through the lives of the believers that are in this room who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted with his gifts, and given a place and a purpose in such a time to be used effectively as a witness for him. Paul goes into the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17, and he walks around and sees all of these gods. And then he finds an inscription to the unknown God. And so he walks into a world of idolatry and he says, this is the God that I've come to proclaim to you. He is the God of gods. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he says this, God is not contained in houses built by men. But we have, been appointed for, uh, we have been appointed for times and places so that the whole world would be filled with witnesses. And so Acts 17 points out that for the believer, you have been appointed to a time and to a place so that through the work of the Spirit, you can be a witness to the work of God in your life that would be a testimony and a light in the darkness in the world outside of here that would make a difference and an impact. So let me just go ahead and remind you, your identity, if you are in Christ Jesus, is an appointed, Spirit-filled, gifted called believer who has a local body that God has appointed you to so that collectively you can be a symphony of witnesses to the community around you that profess to the goodness and the faithfulness and the power and the work of Jesus Christ in your life. And that's what we're after. Nothing more and nothing less. Out of every one of you, that's what we're after. You walking in it, you owning it, you knowing it, and you believing it, not only about yourself, but about those that are around you that have been found by the blood of Jesus, saved by the blood of Jesus, and filled with the Spirit for the purpose of his work and life. We exist to reach the least, the lost, and the with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in college, uh, me and my friend Alonzo would make late-night Walmart and Target runs. I never will forget when you had to go to a store to get a DVD. <laughs> so for a lot of you, you've never had this experience. You, you never had the thrill of having to wait in line to get a DVD. But I remember when Elf dropped on DVD. <laughs> in Anderson Walmart at midnight, Elf was going to drop on DVD. And we had class at 8.30 the next morning. I had weightlifting for basketball at 6 a.m. But was I going to get the first copy of Elf in the Anderson Walmart? You bet. I was going to get the first copy of Elf because I'm singing, and it's loud, and I'm singing, and I love you, I love you. Okay, and if you don't know what that is, I don't know that we can be friends. We can, we can be in a church together, but if, but if, and if you don't like Elf, and if you don't think it's the greatest Christmas movie ever, there's other churches around here, and they will, they will welcome you, and they will love you, but we probably are not the appointed church for you. So we went in with a purpose and a mission. We were going to get a copy of Elf. The problem is we came out with chicken in a biscuit, cheese in a can, Batman sheets. And somewhere in the journey, we got off track. Did we get our copy of Elf? Yes, but it got way more costly for a college student because we came back with a whole lot of extra stuff that we did not intend to get. And the reason I bring that up is that for a lot of you, you have a clear mission or a clear purpose for which you start out with in your life. But somewhere in the midst of your life cycle, you got distracted and you got a whole lot of extra stuff in the buggy that you never intended to put in there. 
You started out with, we're going here, and we're going to go light, and we're going to go quick, and we're going to get there. And what ended up happening is you got bogged down and distracted. And as a result of it, you just feel like you're lacking purpose in your day-to-day life. And it's not because you started with the lack of purpose. You started with the lack of clarity. You had clear goals. You had a clear mission. It's just you need some spring cleaning on the buggy cart because you put too much in it. And now you are wandering down aisles looking for a reason to buy things that you don't need. Looking for a reason to give your time and your life and your affection and your energy to things that honestly just don't matter in light of eternity. It's not that they're bad things. You see, for most of us, we're not living a life that seeks to do the bad. We're living lives that are just distracted with good. And good is the greatest enemy of great. And for a lot of us, we got a lot of good in our life, but we got so much good that there's no room for anything to be great in our life. And this is what I'm after in this series for us. We, we don't want to just be a good church. We want to be a great church when it comes to our faithfulness and our obedience to the very thing that God has called us to as followers of Jesus Christ. Are you tracking with me? And in order for us to be a great church, we can't wander from our main mission. Our main re- mission is to reach the least, the lost, and lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means at times, church is going to look really messy because people don't come in acting like Jesus. People don't clean up as quick as we think they should, and you haven't cleaned up as much as you act like you have whenever you walk into this room and come into this church. You see, it's a messy process of living in vulnerability and in the light. It's a messy process of making repentance a common habit of your life because you've got to admit that you're still struggling and walking in sin, that you don't want anyone to know that you're still struggling and walking into it. For a lot of us, we think we repent once publicly, and then we walk in shame for the rest of our life struggling in it, and then we're delivered from it. But it says in the book of James, confess your sin to one another and pray for each other that you may be saved. Let me be, uh, let me be clear on that one. That means do not pepper each other with the advice. No one in this room needs more advice. We already have Google and AI for that junk. (laughs) Pinterest is filled with advice on how to cook better, on how to dad better, how to mom better, on how to hobby better. We don't need, if we needed advice, we would go to the internet. But we need prayer, so we come to the church house. But the problem is, is we'd rather give advice than take them before the Lord in prayer. And And the remedy of what God has called us to is to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other. And it's in the power of prayer and the confession of our sin that God then shows up and heals us. But for a lot of us, we're not healed because we confessed one time, or we didn't confess at all, or we lied in the confession about what was really going on. And as a result of it, we don't get it out in the open, so it walks in the dark and it lingers in the in the dark places and as a result of it not being in the light we just keep it hidden under and we try to be Christian on the surface when underneath what we have is a battle going on where we need the power of God and the community of God to come around us and we don't ever experience the deliverance because we don't get the prayer so, so I, I, want, I want to be clear here we, we are aiming for a very clear objective for a glare, very clear mission here And and that mission is that we would not wonder from this, that we would never get to a point where maybe God blesses us with facilities we do own, and then when the community wants to come in, and we're like, oh, the community can't come in. Why? Because they mess up our facility. Are you kidding me? The facility was for the community. That's the whole point. It should get wrecked by the community using it. That's why it was put on the earth to be used by them. That's the whole point. And, and I, I just want to make sure we don't become a museum. I just want to make sure we don't, we don't become a story of what God did yesterday, but we become a living, breathing movement of what God is doing today. So we believe in order to stay focused on that mission, we've got to have consistent values and habits that keep us focused on the main thing. They keep the grocery cart clear. Are you tracking with me? They help us say yes. They help us say no. And so in order for us to keep the grocery cart clear, we have these four values. The first one is what I'm going to teach you today, and that's this. At this church, we lead 
with love. We lead with love. This is a simple, simple value, but it is very hard to practice. We lead with love. We lead with love. This value, if we practice it, we believe will keep us focused on being a church that reaches the least and the lost and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is this about, and why is it such a big deal? I'm going to give you two reasons this value matters so much to us as a church. Number one is Christ's example. Christ's example is what we are after in everything that we do. Christ's example is literally the, the picture of what a Christian life looks like. When Jesus was here, he lived a life by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, to the glory of the Father. We are now, at being forgiven by the blood of Jesus, to be Spirit-filled, to be led by the Spirit, to be used by the Spirit, to endure by the Spirit, to overcome temptation by the Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we then find the ability to live the life that is impossible in and of ourselves, which is the life of the flesh. And so we want to live a Spirit-filled life that's in the example of Jesus. What is Jesus' example? We look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Now, we read this, and uh, perhaps we think this is a no-duh statement. But I just want to remind you that this is one of the most repeated statements throughout all of church history that we see in the early church. Constantly, Paul and John and Peter are having to remind churches that they need to love one another. Why? Because it's very easy to be inconsiderate and dismissive of one another. Our natural disposition is not to consider others and love them, but to dismiss others and ignore them. And you and I need to know this about ourselves. I, by nature, can be a very self-centered and selfish person. I love those that love me. I hate those that hate me. And that's not God's version and way of loving and living in this world. Christ's example is what we look to whenever we look to what love looks like. Love one another, for love comes from God. So to be clear, some of you have a lowercase l love that you share with each other. And it's good. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's at times very self-sacrificing, but consistently at the end of the day will always preserve self over others. The love that we're talking about that the church is supposed to share is one that derives from God that is given to them to then give to each other. If it doesn't come from God, there's no love to extend to each other. So I want to be very clear. Our understanding of what love may be may not be God's understanding of love. And we've got to understand that the love that God has called us to love each other with derives from him and then is extended into our lives to the people that are around us. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. And it's important for you to know that part. It comes from God. And if we love with that love, it's from God and it comes from God. Because a lot of people, you're like, well, does that mean if anyone's loving, that means that they're of God? Not necessarily. You've got to give it some time and look from time to time. Because some people are deceptive. Some people are highly deceptive with their love to get what they want from you. And they can endure through years and seasons of giving what looks like love, which is actually manipulation and scorekeeping. You thought it was free love, and what you end up discovering is that there was a big bill that was being racked up that they were going to bring to you. It's kind of like a credit card that has a 12-month, 0% introductory rate. You rack the charges up, and you think, oh, we got time. It's great. It's free. And then usually, hopefully, you discover this by your 30s. Then you realize you get to like month, three months out, and you're like, oh, gosh, we got $1,500 a month to zero this thing out. And then they roll in all of the extra delayed interest that's been deferred on D-Day whenever it comes through. And for some of you, 
That's the kind of love you've experienced, and it doesn't derive from God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is the standard. God showed us. Okay, so let's, let's just make sure we understand it. You can say whatever you want to say, but actions speak for more than your words, right? And love is a verb. It is something that's meant to be seen. It's something that's meant to be experienced. It's something that's meant to be demonstrated. God doesn't just simply shout from the heavens, I love you, simple people who have all turned your back and walked away from me. Instead, he sends Jesus to walk amongst us, so he shows us his love. He demonstrates it in action how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. I'm searching for some right here. That's where it's found. Right here. Real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Look at verse 11 and verse 12. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, that now has become the standard of how we love each other. Since he loved us in that sacrificing way, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Look, our love is a key marker and indicator that God is at work in us. Whenever we respond in bitterness and impatience and hate to our brother and sister in Christ, we communicate to the world outside of the community of Christ that we have no different kind of love within our community than they have outside of it. But it is the sacrificial, constant, covenantal, and non-transactional love of God that has been given to us, that we now extend to each other, that lets the world know that there is a love that endures in the house of God because the work of God and his love in us endures in our attitude and posture of love to each other. This value is so important to us because it is Christ's example. It is Christ's love that leads us to repentance. Christ sees those who are broken in the world and he leads with love and compassion to them. If you flip back in the book of Matthew, you'll discover a text where Jesus uh, has healed a blind man, a mute man, a lame man walks. I believe it goes in that order. And then it comes to the very end. And it says that he sees all of the people that were coming to him with all their sicknesses and all their ailments and all of their sinful habits that have caused them to be ostracized from community and that have caused them to be heavy laden and weighed down. And it says he saw them and he had compassion on them like a sheep without a shepherd. He, he felt this longing for them. And he looks at his disciples and he's like, man, the harvest of people who need God-sized love is plentiful. But the laborers, those who are willing to love in the difficult way and the hard way, those who are willing to love the people who are messy and broken and they're not going to in one sermon and in one prayer get over everything in their life, the, the people that are willing to really get into the trenches and get on the rubber boots because you don't have fancy boots on whenever you're doing this kind of work, who are willing to get on the work clothes and really go to labor for the kingdom of God, those people are few and far between. We like to love those that are easy, but man, it's loving the difficult that marks us with the people that are mirroring the love that God has given to us. So Christ's example is one reason this value is so important to us. Number two, it's Christ's command. Christ has commanded this of us. Look, look at it with me. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other 
just as I have loved you. It is to mirror, it is to demonstrate Christ's love. And for some of you, this makes our souls heavy. This makes us burdened. This is not to speak of the fact that at times, what is loving uh, is speaking the truth. What is loving is setting clear boundaries because of the uh, disregard of their health and the intent to continue to harm others around them. But our posture toward them is one of believing of the love of God and its ability to change them, to meet them, to uh, interact and engage with them. And and at times, there, there may be a need for a boundary, but there's never a giving up because love never fails and love never quits. So we've been commanded by the standard of Christ's love to love each other. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Pay attention to the last line. Your love for the world will prove that you're my disciples. It's, 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 it's a testimony. Or it's a testimony against your love for each other. You see, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. This value matters because Christ's example and Christ's command lead us to it. You see, loving people God's way, let's just go ahead and confess this, is a lot harder than my way. I'm just throw it out there. It's a lot easier for me to love you my way. What's my way? You get two and a half strikes. How many of you are glad God didn't give you two and a half strikes? Ten, ten witnesses and a lot of liars, huh? <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that it's not trans. Like, like, my way is, if you love me, I'll love you. Scratch my back, I'll scratch. See, that's the love that some of you learn from your father, and that's not God's love. That's not God's love. What does God's love look like? Well... We've been talking about it, but he goes in to highlight it in Luke chapter 6, verse 32 to 36. It says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? I'm just going to let that sit on you for a minute. I love these kids right now. The other ones, not so much. You don't get credit for that. If you love those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. That's not God's love, that's the world's love. That's not covenantal love, that's transactional love. You do for me, I give back to you. That's not how God's love works. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners do that much. Again, this is not the way the world works. You see, we've not begun as a community to extend the love of God until... We begin to love those that are not easy to love, to do good to those that do not do good to others. So you're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. That seems to set up a system where people take advantage of it. As if, right now, all of you in this room have it in various ways taken advantage of the free grace of God. How many of you have had a moment where you knew it was sin, but you thought, His grace is enough. And you just kept doing it. So you mean that God continues to love you in spite of your hypocrisy? In spite of your unfaithfulness? It doesn't run out and it doesn't quit on you whenever you turn the blind eye to your own sin and you call it little and you try and minimize it and make it small. And he still loves you with a constant love. And then you get mad? Whenever you've got to extend that kind of love to someone else? 
If you lend money to only those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your... Go ahead and write their name in your bulletin. Go ahead and write their name in your phone. This is where we can contend with whether or not God's given us love to extend to them. Go ahead, write the ex-husband's name down. Write the ex-wife's name down. Go ahead. Um, write the girlfriend down. Write the old boyfriend down. Yep. Go ahead and write that boss's name down. I, I'm not playing, y'all. Like, like, if we have been loved by God, we have a love that he has given us and put inside of us that can overcome and love our enemies. So if, if this is true, let's go ahead and start identifying these people that we tend to dismiss and ignore and gossip and slander, which is real Christian of us, by the way. Come on. Go ahead and write their name down. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. See, here's the problem. Many of you are more consumed with stewarding your, your earthly rewards than you are with storing up heavenly rewards. And so what, what you've gotten into is this idea that you're losing, that, you're not, that, you're, that, that this love is costly, which is part of the concept. Christ's love is costly. It cost him his life. And for you to live in that love and to extend that love, guess what it's going to cost you? Your life. Of course love costs. Love's not free. It costs. It's hard. It's difficult. There are times where I, in my spirit, feel real hate to people. I hate them. I hate what they've done. I'm frustrated with them. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. And I feel God pulling me to forgive them and to give good. And I'm like, I don't want to give good, God. And I've got to acknowledge sometimes that in my heart, what I find in and of myself is not love that I want to extend. But at times, and as a believer, I think some of you can relate to this. At times, in the same moment of that emotion, I feel the Spirit of God convicting, going, blah, blah, blah. but I have more love to give you to give to them. No, 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 but I have more patience to give you to give to them. No, 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 I have goodness for you to give to them. I know you want to respond and you want to go tit for tat. You want to, you want to answer back with another insult, but I've got a good thing that you can give them. Pat them on the back, encourage them, build them up and speak life because you don't have death in your mouth. If they have death in their mouth, they're still in their tomb. But if you have death in your mouth, it may be a sign that you didn't come out of yours even though you're professing to have as a follower of Jesus. No, in our mouth is to be life. In our mouth is to be good news. So when they do evil, we respond with good. You will truly be acting as children of God the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Whew. That's me. What has Russ Chambers been in 38 rotations of the sun? In various seasons, very unthankful, and a lot of my actions, wicked. And God loved, loves me. You must be compassionate, just as your father is compassionate. Now you read that, and right now you hear We've been commanded to love in a sacrificial way that is costly. And for many of us, we're like, how in the world do you constantly love an unlovable people? Well, the good news is the Bible speaks to the issue. How do you love an unlovable people? How do you love a difficult people? Look at the text with me. Here's how to lead with love. In a practical three steps, here's how you lead with love. Number one, in order for you to lead with love, you first need to be loved by God. And for a lot of you, the way you interact with people is an interaction that comes from a hatred of yourself. How many of you have ever disciplined your kids way harder than the discipline was required because you saw yourself in your own rebellion in them and you thought, not my house. 
Not my family. I can't tell you how many times I've been angry at my son because my son acted like me. Not me as a child, me. See, most of us, we like to separate it. We like to go, they acted like me when I was a kid. No, 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 no. (laughs) Most of the time, they're still acting like you. It's just in an adult form that now has adolescence tied to it for them. But you you have an adult form. It's still there. That self-centeredness, that selfishness, that stiff-neckedness that doesn't want to do what God, that's still there. And you get mad at them because you see you in them instead of repenting before God and going, oh, God, man. I am raising up people in my image instead of your image, and right now they're acting like me. And you've you got to come back to the fact that there are things that, I'll just be honest with you, I don't like about me. For a long time, I hated me. I couldn't understand why anyone would want to love me. And so I, I was very insecure whenever a pastor would get up and begin to talk about the love of God because I didn't love myself, therefore how could God love me? Now, this is not a self-love movement of you just need to love yourself and get content with who you are. Hey, take pictures in your undies and put it on the internet because, you know, hey, you're perfect and flawed and every Like, like don't do that, okay? Like, like, I don't need to see pictures of you being confident in your underwear. Do that in front of your spouse. And if you ain't got a spouse, like, I guess you could hang out with your girlfriends or your dude friends or whatever. But, but like, don't, don't do that in front of just r- random people. Like, that, that, everybody can see that. It's kind of odd, you know, like I was just wanting to see a picture of your kids, like hanging out and getting a ribbon or something, and, and, and I, now it's like, you know, you're, you're happy about it. That, that's awesome, be happy about it, but that's not the kind of love I'm talking about. What, what do I mean by being loved by God, receiving the love of God? First John four nineteen, it reminds us of this, we love each other because he loved us first. So, so you need to understand that as an enemy, God has loved you. That with no promise of change, God has loved you and loves you. He's not concerned with your promises about what you will do if he gives you his love. He's led with his love, knowing that if it ever is fully received in your life, it will change and wreck and transform you into something new that you could not have become. See, this is the thing. Most of us are working to earn God's love. And what you don't understand is that there's nothing you could do to earn it, and God has never asked you to earn it. He's always led with it, and he desires for you to receive it. And once you have it, it will change in your life the areas of your life that do not align with his will and purpose and his direction. And we don't like that because we're like, well, what, what's going to change? How many of you got into a relationship, you're at the altar, and you're like, okay, I know this is a big deal, and I'm about to give you this ring, but I need to know every way that our relationship is about to change me. Like, before I give you this, I need to know that I still can get Thursday nights for football with the dude. Like, is that going to change? I need to know that we're still going to go and hang, and let, we're going to play softball eight nights a week. Is that going to change? Like, like imagine before, before the ceremony, if, if, they, if your significant other, they came in and like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried, I'm concerned. You're like, what are you concerned about? I think this marriage thing's going to change me. So I've listed out some things that I need assurances of that we're not going to change. And then I love you and we'll get into it. Are you kidding me? Yet, yet with God, a lot of you are wandering around going, okay, God, I get it. You love me. And I'm like, oh, it's fun, but I'm going to stay over here. <laughs> that, was, that was really cool. That's like beach camp. Okay, 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 okay. I just need to know, if I really go in, is it going to change me? He's like, yes. You're like, but in where? He's like, do you trust me? 
What if I mess up? Do you love me? What if I can't deliver and I don't come through? Do you love me? What if my entire life, as I knew it before, is nothing like it was before when I jump in with you? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me? You see, when you've been loved by God, you then are enabled, you ready? You're enabled to love God. I know this isn't complex, but our response to God is a response to his first move. We love because he loved us. And because he loved us, we now, being captivated, being impacted, being changed by that love, get to love the God who is love. Love is not God, but God is love. You see, God defines love. Love doesn't define God. So God who is love says, hey, I know this is cheesy, but stay with me. Can I have this dance for the rest of my life? This is the invitation. For you to live a life on this side of eternity that crosses over to the other side of eternity, that is just a dance with the Spirit of God as he works through all of the insecurities and all of the areas and stickiness and frustrations and broken places of your life. Man. And when you know that love, man, it, it's, let me tell you, when you are loved by God and you love God, it, there's something so freeing. Like you sing in front of people and you do cheesy things and you don't care. You just don't care anymore. You talk to people about Jesus and you don't need a bullhorn. You can actually go to a table and, he, and they can have like an adult beverage on the table. And you're like, we can still have a gospel conversation right now even though like you're still here and we're still doing like, like, like it changes you. There's a, there is a free, and look, religious people hate the love of God and people live, being loved by and living in it because it freaks them out. Because they would rather just have clear rules and boundaries. Instead of, I love you unconditionally, I'm with you wherever you go, I'm empowering you by my spirit, and my gifts will give you everything that you need through the spirit to do every good work that I've called you to do. That's the plan. And you're like, okay, okay, and then what else do we need to do? <clears throat> He's like, that, no, you abide in me, and I in you. It's a daily I, like it's a daily consistent walk with him so you lead with love and the way that you get there is you've got to first receive the love of God if you don't love if you if you don't love yourself if, 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 if you if you haven't allowed God to love you because you're like I'm not I'm unlovable I'm just unlovable I'm difficult God knows that's why he died on the cross that's how difficult you are <laughs> you're so difficult he had to get crucified okay so stop stop dismissing yourself of I'm difficult can't be loved by God no you're loved by God you're difficult. He died on the cross as a demonstration of his love for you, and he still wants to love you and live in a love relationship with you. So allow him to love you so that then, as he loves you, you can love him. And then out of the overflow of that love, you get the second part of the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39 to 40. Out of God's love for you, you then are empowered to love your neighbor with the kind of love that God's calling you to love them with. See, the great commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your but you can't get to neighbor before you get through loving God. Until he has your heart, then you cannot extend God's love through your heart to other people that are around you. And this is the ambition. This is the goal. That you'll be loved by God, and through that you would love God. And then out of that, God's love for you would flow into the life of your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the call in Matthew chapter 22. Until you know the love of God personally, 
and deeply, there will likely be a mark of your hate of self that will manifest itself in your actions to your neighbor. I'm going to say it again. Until you know the love of God personally and deeply, there will likely be a mark of your hate of your own self that will manifest in your actions to your neighbor. When you are loved by God, and in turn, you love God, then God's love begins to change you and empower you to speak the truth. You see, the truth is we are difficult to love. But when God loves you, even though you are difficult to love, you will find yourself equipped with the love from God to love the difficult neighbor. The truth is we're difficult to love, but when you are loved by God, even though you're difficult, you'll find yourself in that love that he's given you with a love that equips you to love your difficult neighbor. You see, we have all failed, but God loves us despite of our failure. So when you have received God's love in your failure, you find yourself with a love from God that equips you to love your neighbor who at times will fail and need the love of God extended through you. You see, we have all been enemies of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8 says so. But God loves his enemies. So because God loves his enemies and has loved us with that kind of love, we now have the ability to love our neighbor who at times can become our enemy with a love that loves our enemies. You see, you have been impacted by the love of God with the kind of love that loves enemies, that loves the difficult and loves the failed. It all starts, though with being loved by God, which in turn turns our hearts to want to love God, which leads us to a love being carried in us that's from God, that now empowers us to love our neighbors. Now, this is not an easy value to enact. It's not like we can just go out of here and like, we're going to do it. It's going to be easy. Calling up everybody on the frenemy list and we used to have bad blood, but then the preacher preached a sermon. I can't stop it. I'm sorry. It's... Let me close with this. Some of you have people that have really done evil, horrible things to you. They're not enemies because your parents told you to hate them like the Samaritans. They're enemies because you've seen the evil that they've done against you in your own. And in Luke chapter 6, we get this invitation of how to love an enemy that lays it out for us. Luke 6, verse 27. But you who are willing to listen, because some of you aren't. <laughs> We're not there yet. But the people we made the list of that none of you actually wrote down, because if you wrote it down, you might be accountable to do something with the sermon. You remember that earlier, about 20 minutes ago? Anybody in the house remember that? Remember the list of people? You, you were writing their names down. It was like an ex-husband maybe or an ex-wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend that left you with a lot of baggage and did you wrong. You remember that? Or as a boss that you know, said one thing and did the other and they continue to overlook you and dismiss you and minimize you and you feel small because of them and you're angry because of them. You remember, remember those people that we didn't want to write down? Okay, okay just checking. That's what this text is for. Uh, if you're willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Okay? That's, we've heard that. How do you do that? Let me walk with it through you. Verse 27 teaches us to respond to wrong with good. Verse 27a, do good to those who hate you. So for the believer, someone is hateful towards you. You are the end of the line of hate. You do not extend a continuation of the hate. They slander you, you do not slander back. 
They lie about you, you do not lie back. Evil people you may not be able to engage with in a redemptive way, but what you can ensure that you do is you put out any fires that they send your way, and you don't throw gasoline back on it and send it back their way. Evil people may require legal counsel to be dealt with. That's okay. That's wise. Because there may need to be laws and boundaries that are put in place. But so far as it's on your end, you don't extend evil by continuing to multiply the transgressions of another and becoming a transgressor yourself as they have transgressed against you. They give evil, you give good because you have a good God at work in you. Do good to those who hate you. All right, that was easy. So as a believer, next time someone does evil, what's your trigger? Holy Spirit, I believe right now that there's a wrong being done against me. I could take it personal, or I could trust it to your cross or your judgment. I'm choosing to entrust it to your cross, meaning it'll be paid for by the sacrifice of your son or your judgment in your return if they've not repented, God. No injustice will go unseen. So I entrust it to you and instead ask you to give me good to give them. Okay? You respond to evil with good. Number two, you respond to those who curse you with blessing. They're terrible. They're no good. They're worthless. Man, I, I appreciate them. I'm glad they're here. And, and, and there's a sarcastic way of doing this, and there's a genuine way of doing this. I remember Tim Tebow was mic'd up during this Denver Broncos season. And a linebacker was, like, cussing at him the whole game, live on the mic. I mean, like, like, just cursing at him and everything. And here's the thing about Tim Tebow, okay? He wasn't the greatest quarterback in the world. But, man, he was an incredible competitor. He loves Jesus. And what came out of him whenever he was pressed was godliness. And I think that's what's amazing to see. And so he just gets walloped by this guy. I mean, I, I'm talking, like, cringing, like, oh. And on the mic, you hear him go, man, that was an incredible hit. Hey keep competing buddy and he gets back up and, and he's being genuine it's not smug like it's just he's just like man hey I, hey great great hit great hit and he just keeps going I, I'm telling you I love that about him I love that about him and I love it to see it when you see a believer in the heat of competition or, or in the heat of a competitive world that loves Jesus more than they love their identity and their competitions that that allows the love of Christ to be extended through them they get cursed by their opponent they bless their opponent. This is what verse 28 says. Look at it with me. Um, it says, bless those who curse you. So you love your enemies by responding to wrong with good, by responding to those who curse you with blessing. And then finally, number three, verse 28, you pray for those who mistreat you. You pray for those who mistreat you. That's what 28b says. Pray for those who hurt you. So you can fight them in your head and argue with them in your head, which gives you no resolution, makes you anxious and makes you worried. Or you can understand that that moment where you feel that in your body, it is a trigger telling you, get on your knees and begin to pray for them. Y'all don't understand. I, th some of the reasons I pray for this church so much by name is some of y'all, I'm tempted. I get so frustrated at times with people in this church. And I'm like, Lord, <sighs> oh man, I am sinful and a mess. But right now, they're making it a lot more easy to be sinful in a mess. And I need your help because I don't want to love them right now. I don't want to return that phone call. I, I don't want to hear them in their rant and the same thing that they've been doing. God, I'm not patient with them. Right, Like, I, I have to pray because if I don't, I won't have God's heart for you. And I'll respond with my heart, which can be carnal and one-sided. 
That's how you love your enemies. You return evil with good. You take curses and you give them blessings. It's easy stuff. You pray for those who mistreat you. Here, I'll give you two more quickly. You give freely to those who think they have to steal from you. That's verses 29 and 30. Oh, you need that? Bless you, man. You can have it. You can have it. Is it a miracle on 34th Street? Or I'm trying to think of the play. It's a Christmas play where they go and steal the candlesticks and the guy that they steal them from says, oh, you needed those. I gave them to you. Remember the police are holding them on there? I don't remember. I'll look it up. I'll Google it. That's what Google's for. You just pray for me. I'll Google that, all right? That's the point, right? We live open-handedly in a way that we're able to extend generosity. Finally, uh, the last one is you let your actions paint a roadmap to peace. Verse 31. Verse 31, do to others as you would like them to do to you. It's not a guarantee that they'll do to you what you want them to do, but it does make a roadmap to say, hey, I'm not going to treat you with ill contempt. I'm not going to hold your worst moments of your life over your head. I'm going to look at you with redemptive eyes. I'm going to look at you through the lens and the potential of what Christ could do in you. And so instead of speaking curses over you and over your insecurities and over your weaknesses and over your mistakes, I'm going to speak blessings to you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask for God's best in your life and in your family. And I'm going to trust that when he blesses you, it won't be because he's minimizing me. You see, the world works on a system that if your enemy's blessed, you get destroyed. But the truth is, God blesses and has enough blessing to go around for all of his people. So you can pray for God to bless everybody in churches that are around you and ministries that are around you and it won't be the diminishment of your ministry or your church or your identity or your value because your value is rooted in Christ Jesus and not rooted in your achievements and your performance to begin with so you can bless your enemies you can return evil with good let your actions paint a roadmap for peace this is the invitation at this church we want to live with the kind of love that's from God a love that we have received a love that has caused us to respond to him with love in return and a love that gives us the kind of love to love the least and the lost and the lonely around us with a love that will not let up, that will not let out, that will endure through all the hardships and difficulties in our life. As the band comes, our prayer team is going to come forward. If you're in a season where the enemies are many and the amount of love required to be patient and loving in this season is difficult, we want to pray for you. Let me just remind you, love is to be our response, but reconciliation is the work of God. It's not your job through the love that you extend to make reconciliation happen. It is your job to make sure that the posture that you give them is love and the invitation for reconciliation is there. But it's a two-way street, not a one-way road to reconciliation. Right? So so don't think, well, I'm going to love them and we're going to reconcile. That may be the dumbest thing you could do. They need to be loved by God. They need to love God and be changed by that. And in that, God will bring them to the point of reconciliation. Sometimes you've you got to understand your role and God's role in the equation. You tracking with me? If you need prayer, you come forward. Uh, but let's live this value out together. Let's love our neighbor. Let's lead with love. In Jesus' name, amen.